And welcome back to the Live Wire Politics Podcast. Hey, if you're listening to this episode, we are officially out of 2020. That's right, we are in 2021, which doesn't mean a whole lot, but there is something ceremonious about the new year. And hopefully, all indications are pointing to a much better year for the world, let's hope. And I wanted to thank all of our listeners for a great year. Uh, the podcast has grown in size. You know, I've really appreciated all the support. Really looking forward to the upcoming year. We're going to mix some things up, add some new content. And as always, the feedback is appreciated. Any new subjects you'd like to have covered, please let us know. So for this episode, what I really wanted to do is provide a reader's digest to basic political systems and economic systems. So as a disclaimer, this is not going to be a deep dive into all of the different theories and platforms. What this is going to provide, at least I would hope, is for the basic casual listener, you know, to have an understanding of of what these political systems are, how they vary, understand the differences between an economic system and a political system, and try for the life of us to rid ourselves of the broad characterizations that are always in play and actually have an intelligent conversation about the parameters that need to be set in order to function as a healthy society. So what I wanted to do first is set the parameters for an economic conversation. So the parameters would be a shared agreement. So it would go something like this. If we're going to set up an economic model, we want to consider a few factors. One income inequality. Now, the historical and empirical evidence is very clear that excessive amounts of income inequality causes two things. One, an increase in crime and ultimately a destabilized system. And, you know, that's true. Essentially, when the bottom half, we'll call it, of a destabilized economy that is driven from excessive inequality, ultimately, those folks turn the system upside down. And we've seen that time and time again. So we have to consider the levels of inequality when we're putting together an economic system, but also making sure that we don't stifle innovation. Uh, We pay for innovation with inequality. So it is the management of how much inequality that really we need to focus on because both the left and the right do not want excessive amounts of inequality for the very same reason. How we go about that is the conversation. So that's the parameter that we want to set. So now I'm going to quickly just go over the four most popular economic systems in the world. And unfortunately, I won't be using the terms communism or socialism or capitalism, not because they don't matter, but Too far often we get lost in theory and we forget to look at how the real world is actually operating today. So the first economic system we want to talk about is the traditional economic system. And this is actually very popular all over the world. It's more of an ancient type of economy. It's an economic system that values uh, traditions and customs. Oftentimes these economies are very uh, in close-knit societies And one of the benefits that you can see is that there's very minimal surplus. There's very minimal waste because they're all only trying to meet the demands of the people uh, within those local societies. Now, best way to picture that is the local market. Uh, Amazon does not exist in these traditional economies. Oftentimes, they don't obviously reap the benefits of a traditional called a modern society with, you know, centralized utilities, uh, advanced
advanced technologies, distribution, uh, everything is more local and more homogenous. So that is the first economy. It's the traditional economy. The second type of economic system is called the command economic system. Now, this is typically when we have an economic system that is controlled by a centralized power. And most often always that is in terms of the federal government or we'll call the state. Uh, this tends to happen in countries that have a lot of rich resources and the government takes full ownership over the means of production for those resources. So while there are some advantages to a command economy, most end up failing or collapsing because when the hand is in the cookie jar, in the government's hand in this case, they typically only will care about the most valuable resources and everything else is just left to the whims of the people. When you have a disincentive to innovate, it crushes the rest of the economy. So next we have the market economic system. Now this is most similar to what we call the free market. And this is where the government does not control any of the vital resources. And ultimately it is the people that run the means of production and determine supply and demand. Now, would you be shocked to know that there is no truly free market economy in the world today? And, you know, America is considered a capitalist country. The government still has a very heavy hand in regulating the economy, regulating free trade. Uh, we have agencies that protect the American consumer against monopolies, you know, those type of things. Uh, so obviously one of the biggest benefits of a market economy is that separation between the government and the economy. It allows for uh, a government to not become too powerful over time. And finally, we have number four, which is the mixed economic system or a mixed economy, a dual economy. You've probably heard a couple different variations, but uh, this is primarily what most Western democracies and governments have in play for their economic system. It is a mixture of both uh, a free market economy as well as government intervention. And this is very much a, a way that we would describe the American economy. And the best way to describe this is not so much in terms of regulation, but you have government entities and ownership that you have owned by the government, but they also still exist in the economy. And I think the best example to give would be the Postal Service. So you have a government-owned agency in the USPS, but you also have competition within the marketplace in the form of FedEx, UPS, DHL, etc., you know, education, transportation, those are other examples. But, you know, this allows for both of these elements to exist harmoniously within the same economic uh, system. And with all of these systems, I think the one big question we have to ask ourselves is how much government intervention do we want within the free economy? And ultimately, we want to have confidence in the system to not know that the game is rigged against us. Equality of opportunity is the most paramount foundational value that the American system has and should have going forward. Now, we all have lived in the American dream, uh, where you, perhaps, are living at a level two. And if you were to say that your children would end up living, let's say, a four or five, that would be good enough, knowing that each generation gets a little bit better footing on the playing field. You know, that's a good thing. What we don't want to happen is the feeling that many of us had during the 2008 financial collapse, the feeling that the rich disproportionately benefited from the reorganization of the American economy during a time in which they were also propped up 
by the federal government and then bailed out again when things didn't work out. And you had former Goldman Sachs CEO Henry Paulson as Treasury Secretary making the argument that we needed to provide a huge bailout package to these massive corporations because, again, they were too big to fail. But in the end, there was no bailout for the American people. Now, one can't exist without the other, right? You can't have these large corporations even be in a position to be bailed out by a large government without the two being intertwined together. So that begs the question. We don't want to have that feeling again where the vast majority of Americans that did not benefit from those programs get the feeling that the game is rigged against them. That's not what we want. And that is unfortunately what has happened in recent history. All right. So I said earlier I wasn't going to talk too much about the the terms communism, capitalism, socialism. I wanted to kind of let the economic systems kind of speak for themselves. But, you know, I put together a a quick little chart uh, showing the, you know, attributing factors to each one of those theories. And I think hopefully this could be pretty helpful. So we talked about the means of production are owned by capitalism would have that under the individual, uh, while socialism, communism would have everyone own those means of production. Those factors of production, meaning what is it that drives it, under a capitalist form, it would be profit. Uh, Under socialism and communism, it would be the usefulness for the people. Essentially, what is the utility behind it? How those resources are decided upon in a capitalist society, it's the supply and demand factor. Where in socialism and communism, it's actually a central economic planning that command economy we talked about. Now, each individual will contribute to these systems according to, in a capitalist model, the market, what it demands, while socialism, communism is the ability. Each gives according to their ability. Now, each individual within each system receives what do they get back. In a capitalist society, they receive wealth or income, Uh, Socialism is based on what you can contribute. And communism is what your need is based on. Each each receives according to their need, right? We hear that from Marx. Um, So Marx believed that really an item's value came from the labor that was used to create it. Whereas in a market economy, we'll call it the capitalist economy, uh, of the value of, of a thing is really what people are willing to pay for it. So in other words... Your labor is worth really nothing until you produce something that other people want and are willing to pay for it. And I always think about the show Pawn Stars. You know, the guy brings in an old, you know, 65 Chevelle that he's been fixing up for the last 20 or 30 years. And maybe the market value is only 20000 But, you know, the guy makes the argument that, you know, I put in uh, 200 hours of labor on this and I've bought all these different parts. But all that matters in the end is what someone is willing to pay for it. Right. So to recap, there are four economic systems that most all countries have the traditional, the command, the market and the mixed. And within those four lie the three most, we'll say, widely used and often misrepresented terms. Right. Capitalism, socialism, communism. So, again, the best way to kind of sum those three up are, you know, socialism and communism, both are economic systems, but they're also social and political theories. In communism, there is no private property. It's completely gone. Everything is shared by everyone. 
Uh, socialism, there is still private ownership, but the means of production for the community are essentially owned by everyone. And it should be noted that currently there are no purely socialist uh, economies or states, most of which are are mixed. Um, Nordic Europe is commonly used by the democratic socialists of America as the kind of the golden child for what socialism in a democracy can look like. But, you know, it should be noted that all Nordic countries, all Scandinavian, Western European countries, all operate in a market economy uh, with capitalism as its foundation. They do spend a much higher majority of their taxes towards social programs, and that's often pointed to as a model that we would want to adopt, but it should be known there are no socialist or purely socialist Western European nations. All right, now we get to stretch our legs and jump into the top political systems that exist. But before we do, if this is at all interesting and you want to kind of dive deeper into not just the academic literature, but you can go on YouTube. There's a really fantastic debate. It's by the Soho Forum, S-O-H-O, and it's called Capitalism versus Socialism. And I think it's a really nice, healthy, honest debate. And that is just one resource among so many that are out there. And All that information can allow you to form your own opinion. All right, so there are five different political systems that currently operate in the world today. You have democracies, republics, monarchies, you have communism, and dictatorships. And just as a disclaimer, there is a lot of overlap in some of these definitions, which can make it confusing, but hey, that's also part of the fun, right? So first one we're going to discover is the democracy. So there's two different types of democracies that currently are represented within the world, uh, both currently and then even historically. So you have your direct democracy and you have a representative democracy. So direct democracies, a lot of folks will look at Athens, Greece as the first direct democracy. So that basically means that every citizen within that state is able to make decisions and participate in the governing process. So every single person can show up, they can vote, they can make decisions both locally and nationally on all issues relating to their democracy. So it's the truly most participatory system you could have, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily the best. The second is the representative democracy. So instead of having every citizen have an equal amount of participatory standing, you would elect a local representative to represent your area or your district uh, when it comes to making decisions. A lot of people look at the United States as being a representative democracy. You know, you and I will go to the ballot box, we'll elect a representative both locally and then nationally to represent us and our interests. All right, the next form of political system is the republic. So the main characteristic of a republic is that the government is subject to the people and all leaders can be recalled. Now, we would, and I say we as in the United States, would be also considered a republic. And really, it's a constitutional republic. You know, pure democracy as we know, um, you know, that's the big argument for the popular vote versus the Electoral College. If you want to know more about the Electoral College, we did an episode fully on that as well. It's a lot of fun. But hey, 51% does not equal the majority here in this country. We have a different system. So many would look at the Republic as our defining 
characteristic. Now, the republic is a little murky because technically you could consider an oligarchy a republic. You know, any system of government that is legitimized by the people, even if it's only a handful, technically could fall in that category as well. So uh, the next form of government is the monarchy. So monarchy, you probably consider, okay, I'm going to go back to the ancient medieval European countries in the form of our monarchies that we've seen in television and documentaries. Well, when you say monarchy, it really can mean a lot of different things, right? There are absolute monarchies. There are elected monarchies where actually the monarch is elected. There are non-sovereign monarchies. There's a lot of different ways that a monarch can fall into existence, right? Constitutional monarchs fall under this category as well. And, you know, some would often consider that to be a republic. But really, it is they, that single ruler, in a sense, that is the head of the state. But there are limitations in that power as well, right? So we still have monarchs in Europe um, and throughout the world, and it just operates a little bit differently. They've evolved a long time to kind of include some more democratic components to monarchies. So, you know, monarchy is is definitely one that still exists today. But, you know, I think if I were to give my opinion going forward, you're probably going to see less and less uh, traditional monarchies. The last, well, second to last would be (laughs) might as well put this last, communism, right? So in most cases, a communist state is based on the ideology of communism taught by Karl Marx and Vladimir Lenin. It's a system in which the full economy is in command. It's a command economy by a single political party. Again, no private ownership. Uh, Everyone within the state does not have a choice in terms of where they can work, where they can live. It is provided by the Communist Party. Now, there are still a handful plus nations that consider themselves communist by definition, right? And most noteworthy is the Chinese Communist Party, CCP. However, if you look at the Chinese system under Mao versus currently in modern times, you see that they fully operate with a capitalist or a market economy, but they're under full control by the Communist Party party. So, you know, there there's no such thing as a purely communist state because free trade currently exists within most all of these current uh, communist regimes limited to, let's say, North Korea. So communism would also be considered authoritarianism, which is a little bit different from a dictatorship, but really they, they kind of go hand in hand. So lastly, the dictatorship, right? And it's another form of authoritarian government. Uh, normally, the dictator is the main person that rules the country. You know, they, they have their lackeys and others that do things for the dictator. But it is a single person that is making the vast majority of these decisions. Oftentimes, this person is brought into power by a military coup or by some some type of tragic event. You know, they do have, at times, elections that are usually held. Uh, the dictator tends to be the only candidate, or if there is an opposing candidate, let's just say the election integrity isn't at a very high level. Military dictatorships tend to be the most common. You know, we remember figures like Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, Joseph Stalin, Pol Pot, Robert Mugabe, just to name a few. But the one thing all dictators have in power, or at least most all of them, are they are directly responsible for the largest genocides in addition to communism within the last 200 to 300 years. And that is without dispute. And again, they come to power in a variety of different ways. Some are elected democratically. Some are 
uh, part of a military coup. Some come through the ranks and are appointed and consolidate power, and, and then they never give it up. Some are driven by a hateful ideology. But in the end, you have to realize that these things don't, nobody hands over power directly uh, to a brutal authoritarian dictator. It happens over time. So to wrap up, I think it is important that I state my opinion. What is the best way if you are going to start a society from scratch? Let's say SimCity, but you're creating a whole society. What is the best two models um, that we can use based on historical and empirical evidence? Well, in my humble opinion, you put together a market economy with a republic, a constitutional republic. That's the best way to start a foundation for any country. And while, you know, there are great arguments to say we need to have a mixed economy, um, you know, a direct democracy would also be the best potential option. You know, that's my two cents based on the evidence that we have available today, both historically as well as the empirical evidence. So that wraps things up. I hope that was helpful. Uh, If not, let me know. I'll scratch the episode. (laughs) But otherwise, I think we will do another deep dive on some of these subjects. Um, Maybe just consolidate it just to one topic and and maybe provide a lot more historical examples. But I think this at least provides a foundation. Again, we know the four most popular economic models along with the five most common political models. And hopefully that will clear up some confusion as we enter the year 2021. Here we are. Hope everybody is having a great start to the new year. And hey, maybe make a $21 donation to a local food bank. I think everybody could use the extra help right now. Uh, Locally here in Phoenix, St. Mary's Food Bank is doing a great, great service to our community. So if you're local here to the Phoenix area, St. Mary's Food Bank is a great resource. Until next time, hope we all have a wonderful year ahead. Stay safe.